turn with me in, in the book of Jude as we look again to this passage. And um, we're going to be in verses 11 through 13. The book of Jude, you go all the way to the end of the Bible. You'll find Revelation. Maybe you'll find the index. Then go back to the Revelation. And then go back one more to the left and you'll find the book of Jude, the little book of Jude. 25 verses and it's full of, of really powerful truths. And um, I want to start in verse 1. We're going to be uh, looking at verses 11 through 13. But in Jude 1, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains <clears throat> under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And yet in like manner, these also, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. And here's our passage. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and were destroyed or and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. <clears throat> wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. As I've been reading this and preparing for these messages, the one thing that has, has really stood out to me is the way that 
that Jude just keeps hammering on these things. He doesn't just leave us after verses, you know, after verse five, where he talks about these certain people, but he goes on and, and for verse after verse after verse after verse, he continues to hammer on the point that these people are terrible. This is a, this is a big deal as we read this. It really is like when, when we make something with, uh, with our forge and we, we heat up the metal and we get the hammer and the anvil and we hammer and hammer and hammer and hammer and hammer. And it doesn't just take one or two hammers. We have to hammer to shape this and hammer to, to get what we want. And we have to keep hammering and hammering and hammering blow after blow after blow after blow until we finally get the shape and, and the bend and, and, the, and the, the thing that we, we want to make. And this is what Jude is doing this morning. It's like he's still hammering. He's still beating his point home. And so as I was thinking about, man, I'm going to have to preach another message like this. I was encouraged because this is the message that Jude has for us. Jude wrote it like this with point after point after point to hammer in this truth. And so I want us to just participate or experience this hammering. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see two things. And the first one is that the ungodly people really are terrible. If you haven't gotten that yet, we need to get that today. These people that have crept in unnoticed are terrible. And they're doing terrible things. This isn't a good situation at all. And, and Jude is writing this in such a way that we wouldn't overlook it. or We wouldn't excuse them. That we would feel the hammer strike again and again. Oh, that's not good. Oh, that's not good. Oh, that's not good. Because in verse 3, he says this, he says, I found it necessary to write to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is a battle. What Jude is writing this for is for you and I to understand that we're not just in a skirmish. We're not just in an argument where both sides are right and equal. This is a battle for the faith. This is a battle for God's will. This is a battle for the truth of the gospel. And Jude wants us to understand that there are people who stand against this truth. And that you and I need to be able to recognize them. And as we read this, we don't need to respond haphazardly. We're contending for the faith. We don't need to overlook it. It's helpful for you and I as we see what's going on in our culture. As things come into Christianity. As messages come into Christianity. As the secular world brings their ideas and their beliefs into Christianity and try to make it seem like you and I can live and, 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 and walk and, and love together with these people that believe things that are contrary to God. And so he's hammering at it, hammering it, hammering it. And so my, my first point, just as I was realizing that he's going back over this, is that these ungodly people really are terrible. Look at what it says in verse 11. And he doesn't apologize. In verse 11, he says, woe to them. Woe to them. It's very important for us to recognize that Jude didn't abbreviate anything. He emphasizes over and over. And for you and I, we need to recognize that Jude isn't playing and we don't need to play. And he says this in the most offensive fashion, that these people are the worst. This is terrible. And he's not playing around. 
So this morning, as we look at verse 11, we're going to see three Old Testament references. And these references are not good references. They're not pleasant references. When Jude goes back into the Old Testament to help define who these ungodly people are, his choice is very telling. And when we read this, especially when we read this, you and I need to feel the weight of those Old Testament stories and recognizing that he says, woe to them, those ungodly people. One of the things that's interesting to me is about how Jude uses Old Testament passages. And these Old Testament passages aren't messianic in content at all. As a matter of fact, these don't even point to Jesus as he refers them. There's a real danger for you and I when we read the Old Testament, that we miss what the author is intending by only going straight to Jesus in every passage. Every passage, you've heard it said, I want to get into the passage and then go straight to Jesus. We've got to be really, really careful when we do that. Jude doesn't do that here. He doesn't go to the Old Testament passage and then go straight to Jesus. What he does is he says, this is what the Old Testament taught, and you and I need to understand that it correlates with what is happening today. Jude doesn't use the Old Testament as a primer on the life of Christ. What he does is he uses it the way Romans chapter 15 talks about, where Paul says, For whatever was written in the, old, in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And that's the way that Jude uses the Old Testament this morning. And for us to look and see, it's, it's a big deal. He calls our attention to three terrible Old Testament situations. And he directs those, um, the, the attention to these ungodly people. First of all, he says this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. We all remember the story of Cain and Abel. That's a terrible story. Cain was jealous, and he killed his brother in anger. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. Cain, this one who said, am I my brother's keeper, didn't care about Abel at all. All he cared about was his own pleasure, his own satisfaction. All he cared about was his own position. He did what he wanted. He sacrificed the way he wanted to sacrifice. And Jude says, those people are walking in the way of Cain. That's a terrible thing. There's the hammer. Boom. There's the hammer. The second one is abandoning themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. We know the story of Balaam. That's his donkey spoke to him. But in the, in the story of Balaam, Balaam was charged by this secular pagan king to, to blaspheme or to curse the Israelites. And he says, he was even paid to do it. And he says, I'll say what I say. Whatever the Lord gives me to say, I say. And he blessed him. And then the king was mad and he had him do it again. But Balaam couldn't do it. He couldn't say anything contrary to the word. But he did everything that he said was for his gain. It's not like he supported the Israelites. He just took the money and said what he could. And his error was that he tried and was successful at turning the Israelites from worshiping the Lord their God into worshiping idols. And these men are terrible. Woe to them. It says, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. They sold themselves for whatever they could get. And they did it just like Balaam did. These people really are terrible. Balaam isn't a hero in the Old Testament. Hammer. 
hammer, strike. And then he says this, perishing in Korah's rebellion. I don't know if you can get more terrible than that example. You remember the story in Numbers chapter 16? Where Korah and Dathan and Abiram and On approached Moses and said, there's no reason why you should be in charge. You've taken it all upon yourself. You need to share the wealth. And as a result of their rebellion, God opened up the, the, the ground and swallowed all of them, Korah and Dathan and Abiram and On and their families, to demonstrate that they were rebels. They had turned from God and God judged them in front of all of the people in such a drastic way. And their rebellion was actually a rebellion against God. And so God supernaturally destroyed them and they perished. And what Jude is saying to these, to these Christians is, woe to them because these certain people who have denied God have perished in Korah's rebellion. Hammer, stroke, their end is here. They have no place to stand. And the challenge for the church that Jude is writing to is these ungodly ones who think that they have cornered the market on worship, on influence, on authority, they find themselves in over their heads in a way that is absolutely terrifying. And so Jude wants the Christians to contend for the faith against these kinds of people. Knowing their end, Korah's judgment is truly the stuff of nightmares. And Jude is like, hey guys, pay attention for these kinds of people. But not only does he give Old Testament examples, in verses 13, or 12 and 13, he gives natural examples. And these are, these are even, even more terrible in some ways He calls them hidden reefs. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feast. They're ready to rip the bottom out of the ships. These are rocks that sit right up underneath the surface. Everything looks fine and dandy, but when the ship comes through, these are hidden reefs that rip the bottom out and sink the ships. And it says they're hidden reefs at your love feast. These opportunities for the church to gather together and to love one another and to serve one another that would culminate in the Lord's Supper where they're demonstrating and, and remembering and proclaiming until his, uh, his death, until they return. And yet these guys, they don't care about the gospel. They're sitting right up underneath the surface like jagged rocks ready to rip out the hearts and souls of individuals. And it says that they feast with you without fear. They're just eating the meal. They're just going through the motions. What a terrible indictment. It calls them shepherds who feed themselves. We know the picture of the shepherds who are the, the, the Lord is my shepherd. And as you walk through Psalm 23 and you see that he leads them beside still waters, he provides food. But Jude said these guys aren't shepherds in a good way. They feed themselves. These ungodly people really are terrible They really are terrible. And the hammer goes. There's no love in them. There's no focus on the gospel. All they're about is their own benefit. You and I would totally understand verse 13. Especially this month. Think personally about how terrible it would be to have the the sky filled with all kinds of dark clouds. Clouds. 
all kinds of glorious clouds full of water. And you look at them and you're like, oh my goodness, this is wonderful for us. Thank the Lord. I've never prayed that way. The other night when the, the storms come up and I could see it, I was just like praising the Lord in a way I've never done before. The connection for me is, is really precise and I, I can't even imagine how precise it is for you. But imagine if day after day the, the sky was filled with clouds that looked so good and it never rained. Day after day, your hope is, 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 is built up and built up because these are great looking clouds as they come across the sky and yet they give no rain. That's a terrible thing. That hammer, that hammer, that hammer. These people are full of nothing but themselves. The thirsty wait and wait for refreshment, but they leave parched. This is a terrible picture. The next one is about a fruitless tree. It's twice dead. It's even uprooted. This is the next hammer. Boom. These are trees that are supposed to provide nutrients. They're supposed to provide sustenance, but they can't because they're dead. And he says twice dead, emphasizing the reality that they are worthless. And then he says one more thing. They're uprooted. Not only are they dead, but they can't ever live again. We're contending with the faith against this kind of individual. Look at verse 13. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. These people aren't just waves. They're wild waves. They're not just little waves in a pond. They're wild waves of the sea going every direction. No pattern, random, undisciplined. It's, it's almost like anarchy. It's crazy. These people are only concerned about themselves and they don't care about what happens to anybody else. They're ungodly people. His picture gets, gets even better. Casting up foam of their own shame. These people are making a mess. They're getting their terrible sin all over everyone. There is not a person who is safe from their influence. They're not concerned about what others think of them. They're so consumed by their own desire that all of their energy is spent on turning away from Christ. This picture is powerful. He concludes that section by saying they're wandering stars. They're not normal stars in the regular pattern of their movement. These ungodly people are all over the place. They shine their light here. They shine their light there. Their message is confusing. It's incoherent when it's lined up with the scriptures. There's nothing about God's content that they're promoting. They just wander all over the place. And what he says at the end is powerful for you and I. This is where the hammer really starts to make the shape. For whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. They have been quenched. They have nothing themselves that will keep them shining. These are terrible people. They're terrible people. And it really is important for us to recognize this. Because we're not just trying to persuade people of the faith. Jude says we're fighting for the truth. And we have an enemy that is fighting against us. And you and I need to be prepared to fight. As I was thinking about it, not only did I, was I thinking about how these people are terrible people. 
But the second thing is that the unspoken contrasts are really important. I mean, Paul, or Jude doesn't make this contrast, but it's, it's almost impossible to not contrast what he's saying. It's really important to realize how sinful sin really is. As he's talking to these people, the Christians, he is contrasting their expectations with these terrible people. This is what sin really looks like. This is sinfulness. This is terrible darkness. And it's important for you and I to recognize that. Often, especially when we talk about our own sin, we tend to excuse it or overlook it. But Jude isn't doing this. Jude is talking about the sinfulness of sin. Everything that he said about these people is terrible. And one of the big points for you and I is that that's what sin is. Sin is terrible. The contrast draws it out. When we read this list, we think, man, he is not saying anything good. And for you and I to understand that sin is this bad. Sin is terrible. As we look around at our world and see what is being done, we need to be careful to identify sin for what it is. When we see this kind of behavior, we don't need to excuse it. We need to say, that is terrible. When we read about things in the news and and we hear about things, we watch it on TV, we need to be ready to turn it off. That's terrible. It's not okay. It's bad. Jude is presenting these things and, and the contrast between the gospel and sin is becoming more and more stark. We must realize how sinful sin really is. The second contrast for me is it causes us to look at what our lives look like. I know I've been doing this as I've been reading this. As I've been making application and saying, oh, this is what he means and this is what he means. Man, I'm like, oh my goodness. Is that me? Is that me? Jude is making the point that These people are different from the godly ones. He continues to call them ungodly ones. But my challenge is, does my life look ungodly? How much of my life is ungodly? Where is the challenge? I think it's very appropriate that we would consider this. I think we can learn a lot about what Jude thought of his audience He didn't think they were like Cain. He was using Cain as an example. He didn't think they sacrificed themselves. He didn't think they opposed the gospel message. You and I need to think about our lives. Both of these aspects need to lead us to do two things at least. We need to repent. We need to repent. If you're one of the ungodly ones this morning, you need to repent and get over yourself. There's hope for you. Hope in the gospel is there. I think of the ones that Peter preached to who crucified the Holy One. They crucified Jesus. They lived out this and crucified the Lord of glory. And yet when Peter preached to them, 3,000 were added to their number. The grace of God is offered for you if you'll just repent this morning. You might be walking in the way of Cain. 
You might be perishing in Korah's rebellion, but you can have hope in Christ. Christians, you and I have to continue to contend for this faith. We have to fight for this faith that we're living in. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Jesus Christ was the one who destroyed those who did not believe. For Jude, Jesus Christ, his brother, is the centerpiece of the church. And we see in this, in this letter, Jesus is the one who will receive the church. Jesus is the master and Lord of the church. Jesus is the one who will bring the rebuke. Jesus is the one who brings his ten thousands to judge. Jesus is the one who sends his message through his apostles. Jesus is the merciful one who gives eternal life. Jesus Christ is the one who will keep us from stumbling and present us blameless. This morning, sin is terrible. Sin is terrible. But Jesus Christ is wonderful. And he will cleanse us from our sins and make us white as snow. If you're the ungodly today, will you turn to Jesus? Repent and believe. Stop living like Cain. Come unto the proper position of authority. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Christians, this is our power as we contend. We have received the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Let's rest in it. Let's live in it. Let's share it. Let's experience for real the life of Christ as he does these things for his glory. Let's pray. Good Lord, work in our soul today that we would see you and know you, that we would trust you. Lord, I pray for the soul that doesn't know you. I ask that you would turn their hearts to you. Lord, cause them to feel the weight of the conviction of sin. And Lord, cause them to feel the hope and the power of the gospel as they get over themselves and turn to you. For your glory's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen.